0: Welcome to the Highland Gospel Mission, a podcast to all nations. Each week, Pastor Keith will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message from Highland Southern Baptist Church to the rest of the world. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to read along and study the Word for deeper understanding. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. you all have your Bibles as the
1: kiddos get themselves out of here, I would like you to take them, flip them over to an Old Testament book, the book of Jeremiah, chapter 7. Jeremiah, chapter 7. Today we, we are talking about probably one of the most influential lower G-God influences of all time, Baal also uh, also known as, some people call him Ball, which is, it's up to you what you call him, I don't care, he's made up, so make up his name, I don't care what you, not, not made up, but he is the one who has had more longevity from the time 1,500 years before Jesus' birth to his practices still being worshiped in the Middle East just as much today as they were over 3000 years ago he has been so popular amongst people he was known as the god of the Canaanites and the Phoenicians the god as the god of the Canaanites and the Phoenicians he was known as Baal and some of you may have actually um you may actually remember. I think one of the one of the many but big stories was when Elijah, on top of Mount Carmel, challenged the prophets of Baal. And basically, I'm going to give this to you in a nutshell. If you want to look that up sometime, I'll give you the reference to it after uh, after the service. But you had Elijah, who was God's prophet, and Elijah believed that God was the true God, but there was a man who had become the king of Israel at the time who had allowed Jezebel into his court who then turned the nation of Israel towards Baal and Baal worship. Jezebel was a harlot. She was a woman who, tr- who liked to lure men in to her religious structure by introducing to them the pleasures of life. I'll put it that way. Of course, Baal lost the challenge, and it cost Baal 450 lives of his prophets. Because immediately, when Baal didn't show up and God did... And all of the all of the prophets of Baal were slaughtered by God's command. Baal sat silent and listened as the people cried out to him. Elijah even agged them on. These guys are cutting themselves to try to get Baal to answer them. And Elijah's running around going, where's this big God of yours at? Is he taking a nap? Did he go on a trip? Maybe he went on a journey, he's not available to you? So he was mocking Baal. The challenge was, get a bull, sacrifice it, put it on a pile of wood, and you call down your God to call down fire and to burn the bull they called, cried, cut themselves even after all of the mocking that Elijah had done to him, Baal sat silent never responded and Elijah goes paraphrasing, oh okay, it's my turn dig a trench around that wood now fill that trench up with water and pour water all over the sacrifice they soak it down he prays to the Father. Fire falls from heaven and consumes the dirt under that sacrifice. That's a whole nother sermon. One day maybe I'll give it to you guys again. Because let's just say that Elijah didn't show up on Mount Carmel as, uh, uh, as someone who wasn't scared. And there's wisdom. There's wisdom in having a healthy fear of the gods that do their best to influence us. Here's an example of Baal's longevity. Baal has another name. You may find this a little shocking. Zeus. Baal is Zeus. Baal was what he was called by the Canaanites and the Phoenicians. The Greeks called him Zeus. The Romans called him Jupiter. All the same dude. He was known as a fertility god. He was known as to be the, the god of rain and the god of fruitfulness. So he would have been the one that when it came time for them to plant their crops and for their crops to grow, he would have been the one that they would have called upon. Baal was one of the biggest, darkest influences to Israel throughout all of their Old Testament existence. They were taken into captivity by Babylon because they were distracted. They were taken into captivity by Egypt because they were distracted. Idol worship is what got everybody in trouble in the first place. How did the Israelites get into Egypt? How did they end up going to Egypt, you remember? Joseph. But how did Joseph get to Egypt? His brothers wanted to kill him, and some of the brothers said, no, we want to get rid of the favorite kid, but we can't kill him. So slave traders come along and they sold him. Why did they sell him? Why did they get rid of him? They were driven, ambitious for their own things. And folks, I'll tell you what, do you know what makes you know what makes these lowercase g gods so powerful? Most of them are simply a manifestation of the desires of the human's heart. You hear me? Are they real? Yes. Do they have power? Absolutely. But their power is not what the problem is. It's our desires that's the problem. God challenged Israel. And the harshest punishments that God has ever handed out to the nation of Israel was handed out for this reason. The worship of other false gods. Now, I say false gods. Doesn't mean that they aren't little g-gods. It means that they're pagan gods. They are anti-Christian They are everything contrary to who Jesus Christ is. God said in one of the commandments that we are not supposed to make any engraved image of him or any other. Some people believe that when Moses went up on Mount Sinai and the Israelites were left to themselves, that Aaron, after 40 days... He thought, well, Moses ain't coming back down off the hill. What are we going to do now? He was the guy that spoke to God for us. So it says that he actually fashioned a calf out of gold. Some theologians say that that calf represented Baal. Since God had failed them, Baal was next in the list. But others say that that golden calf was a representation of God, the one true God. Do you guys remember what happened to the family at the base of Mount Sinai? Who actually encouraged the carving of the golden calf? I mean, it records a couple of different ways, but I think one of them was the physical result and one of them was the spiritual. They died. Slaughtered. But the Bible says this. It says they went into Sheol while they were alive. while they were alive. Sheol, the place of the dead. It's the place that dead people go. But God says, this offense is so egregious that you get to go experience that torment in person. Does he dislike idol worship? And I'll tell you why. Because it makes us the biggest hypocrites that we could ever be on the planet. Be honest. When you wake up in the morning, how much do you sit and try to frame your day to be as careful as you can that you don't at some point in your day chase a false god? Fruitfulness applies to a lot of things. The desires of the person's heart is what the problem is because when you couple that with a little g God that is more than happy, to hand you what it is that you want. And you guys have heard me. These are I'm not knocking anybody, but I've said before I've told you guys before, I won't buy a lottery ticket. Won't do it. And people will say, well, why? Because I'll win. I'll win. Do you know how much temptation 20, 30, 250 million dollars brings into somebody's life? To be honest, we, cre- we scream and holler about the things that we don't have how many times more than we thank God for what we do? Because he provides us what we need, but the problem never is what we need. The problem is what we want. If a person wants sex, they're gonna go for it. If a person wants money, they're gonna go for it. If the person wants time, they're gonna go for it. And there's nothing wrong with an individual wanting to earn an income. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is, do we earn enough to supply for our needs? Or are we shooting for the stars to provide for what we want? everybody on the planet faces these temptations and these struggles in this particular chapter jeremiah chapter 7 god is speaking to the people of israel and he says this we'll go through just a couple of the verses and then we'll uh, a couple of verses and we'll stop and give you a little bit of a background Jeremiah chapter 7, start with verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word, and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah, who enter by these gates to worship the Lord. You remember when uh, I used to say that everybody who goes into a church needs to stop at that door before they walk in, and they need to assess their heart. I mean, we freely as people in the, in the United States and, and folks, don't remove grace from this because grace is involved in this, okay? But again, walking that line between grace and responsibility is a tough walk. And if we think that grace means that we should be able to go to church, hear the word of the Lord, study the word of the Lord and never feel conviction again, that's not the grace that God intended us to, to experience. Grace means we're forgiven, but the relationship means that we care about our actions, the desire of our heart, and the things that we do. And God's saying, look, you better be very careful before you walk into my house and making sure that your heart is where your heart should be. Because again, these people at this particular time in Judah, they were worshiping Baal, and they were were worshiping Asherah. Many times, they still find today archaeological digs where there are idols that are built to Baal and there are idols that are built to Asherah and they're in the exact same place together. Again, what do you want to call her, Ashereth or Asherah? She is the mother of Baal. El was the father of Baal. And I say was, why? Because according to history, Baal killed El. Killed his dad. Which is what now makes him the most prominent of all of the gods. The little g-gods. He's represented a couple of different ways. One way he's represented the exact same way as Lucifer. A ram or a goat sitting in a chair on a throne. He's also represented as a bull not a man bull like we've already talked about but this is just a bull It's represented as a bull which is why i wonder if maybe that calf at the base of mount sinai wasn't bail because it was a calf it wasn't a bull but who knows i mean maybe they're like we don't have enough gold for a bull well, let's make a calf okay i don't know what the circumstances were whatever the circumstances were their heart was in the wrong their heart was in the wrong place. when he's saying here stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim what does it mean when he says proclaim shout it make sure every person can hear hear the word of the Lord all you of Judah who enter by these gates to worship the Lord. We'll read for a little bit. Verse 3 Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel Amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words, saying, This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Truly, or for if, I, if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly practice justice between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the alien, the orphan, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, nor walk after other gods to your own, to your own ruin, then I will let you dwell in this place in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Behold, you are trusting in deceptive words to no avail. You will steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and offer sacrifices to Baal, and walk after other gods that you have not known. Then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered, that you may do all these things, or all these abominations. Here's what he's saying in a nutshell. You think that I'm going to let you go out there and be whoever it is that you want to be and then come back here and sing like you're pretending or like you are who I want you to be. We serve a jealous God. Am I right? He's saying, folks, if you're going to come into my house and you're going to say the house of the Lord, the house of the Lord, the house of the Lord, then it better be the house of the Lord. We don't get to go out there and run around with all of the harlots that are the little G-gods of all of these people out here who, who encourage us to do things that are absolutely abominable and then go to church on Sunday, walk into the church and go, oh, the house of the Lord, the house of the Lord, dance with our hands up. Again, Walking the line between grace and responsibility, because what did he say? Happens to those who do that? Destruction. So he was like, oh, "Wait a minute! If if somebody's a believer in Jesus Christ, then grace doesn't apply to this." I've got news for you. If someone comes to church on Sunday and worships God and then worships other little g gods based on their passions for the next six, they are not gods. They do not belong to Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying, you don't get to come be a pantheon with me. Somebody asked me, what's a pantheon? Many gods. You see, the Romans and the Greeks, the Canaan, the Canaanites, they were individuals who believed there were many gods and that those gods were nature. God of the sun, God of the stars, God of the moon, God of the rain, God of the river, God of the field, God of the harvest. There was a God for everything. As a matter of fact, you look in the book of Romans, the apostle Paul, when he... When he went to to Athens to kind of hide a little bit because he had everybody in the <laughs> Gentile world chasing him, the Jews chasing him, um, he went into Athens. And in Athens, there was there was a place where it was a it was a it was a place where a statue could be, but it was empty. And it was actually called the unknown God. This is how this is how weirded out these people were. They had statues all over that city, and those statues represented a God and his gift, whatever that gift was. What happens if you pay homage to the God of the rain, but you don't to the God of the sun? You offend the God of the sun. And what does it take in order for a plant to grow in the ground, grow out of the ground? Water and sun. So they were so afraid and had so many gods that they were terrified that they forgot one. So they erected a monument in its place that said to the unknown God, just so they were covering their bases. There is one God. There are many on this planet who represent themselves as God. But do you know what Baal's name means? Lord. That's what it means. So if Jesus is Lord, who's Baal? He's an imposter. But he plays the Lord of individuals' lives just as much as Jesus does because there are those people who, who are driven to chase their own desires. And the truth is, when we come to know Jesus, we get to know our responsibility to him, but we take on his desires and his will. And you've got to ask yourself, why is this so egregious? Why is there such a penalty for somebody even unintentionally being led astray? Especially these Jews? Especially these Israelites? What does it do for the one true God if his people say that he is only one of the many? The truth is, isn't that what, isn't that what anybody says? When they pay as much homage to a false God as they do to the true one? They're saying, Oh God, you are just one of the many. Now, if there is only one God and he is a jealous God, how angry do you think he gets when people say, Oh, yeah, those other gods over there that are actually they're only powerful because of the sinful desire in human hearts? You're his equal. So we do believe that God is one. That he is the creator of the universe. That he is sovereign above all others. How do you suppose it makes him feel when his people say, I'll worship you as one of the many. So he says, stand at the gate and you proclaim to them. You're going to run around out there and do all that you do and then come into my house and worship me? When I was studying this, folks, it hit me right between the eyes. All of us are led by something every day of our lives. We're driven by something. Some of those things are obvious to us as individuals because of the things that we struggle with. And if you think as a Christian, that the devil cannot or will not give you exactly what you want, you're sadly mistaken. Because in so doing, he just turns your God into one of the members of the pantheon. When we go to church, not even go to church, when we sit down in our chairs and we open up our Bible, Before we bow our head in prayer, before we do anything, why is it that we don't take the time to correctly assess ourselves and who we are? Because it doesn't take a person, it shouldn't take a person who's going to be judgmental to run around and point these things out. If we're believers in Jesus Christ, our relationship with Christ is our relationship with Christ. And we cannot invite other gods other desires and other wants into that without catastrophic results. I can give you a thousand examples in 22 years of ministry. Absolutely catastrophic. And all of this is being driven by Baal. It kind of dawned on me that I thought, you know, if if Baal, if he's the head cheese, No pun intended. Head cheese. Get it? If he is the head cheese, then do we only have to watch out for him for the attributes that he brings to the table? Or is he the commander of all underworld or dark forces? He's the commander of all of it. Every problem that you've had in your life chase it to the end and guess what you find at the end of that line fail fail and I don't think in my life at least I know I didn't for a really long time I never looked at something and assessed it from that perspective before if I do something that's the desire of my heart that I know my God does not want me to do then did I just choose to do what I wanted to on my own? Or did I choose the one who put that thought in my head in the first place? Or the one who cultivated that thought? Because we have our weaknesses. Amen? And I've said many, many times before that Satan will do all he can to manipulate those circumstances so that he can be a force that will remove us from the battle. That's what he wants to do. Look at verse 11. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers? in your sight? Behold, I, even I have seen it, declares the Lord. But go now to my place, which was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at the first, and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. And now, because you have done all these things, declares the Lord, and I spoke to you, rising up early and speaking, but you did not hear, and I called you, but you did not answer therefore I will do to the house which is called by my name in which you trust and to the place which I gave you and your fathers as I did in Shiloh and I will cast you out of my sight as I have cast out all your brothers all the offspring of Ephraim now this is Old Testament and and I want people to understand this just because somebody says they're saved doesn't mean that they are. I've used these numbers before, even though that number continues to drop. Right now in the United States, they say that 80% of the population believes in God, the God of the Bible, 80%. Do our laws and the enforcement of our laws reflect that? There are a lot of people on this planet calling themselves Christians who aren't. And it's not my job to be anybody's judge. But it is my job to be able to say that if you say you trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then there is only one God that you will care about what he thinks. And when he shares with us what he thinks, it will either give us power and motivation to do what he approves of, or it will give us power and strength to deny what he does not. Perfectly? no you're still human you're still going to fall but if you're truly one of his children it's not easy to sin it's not easy to matter of fact you've got to push against a force that is much greater than anything you've ever imagined and everybody in this place knows what I'm talking about You ever make a conscious decision to do something that you knew wasn't right? And that whole time, did you hear God go, I wouldn't do that. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And every time we tried to justify, "Mm, don't do it. Do not do it. And the thing is, even though we plan it, We usually do it and think nothing of it once it's done. Why? Well, God'll forgive me. Does that sound like a healthy relationship to you? It's not a healthy relationship. This is such a punishment as to God to say, if you go out there and worship other gods and you claim in here, claim to come in here and worship me. You're gone. I'll turn my back on you. Ephraim ever get forgiveness? No. When God's people turn away from God, God will not let people be a misrepresentation of who he's supposed to be. He won't. Unless it has to do with his purpose and plan, which I guess is... We see it happen occasionally with people, but for the most part, what did he just say? These are the people you're going to be, what happens to you? Right? But here's what I want to know. When we find ourselves in those places where these false gods are whispering in our ears and we are moving this argument back and forth in our head, but I want to, don't do it, but I want to, don't do it. And as this argument goes back and forth in our heads, how many of you have ever thought about the fact that the consequences of making a conscious choice to worship other gods exclude you from the future and the life of God, the one true God? Because if we approached it in such a way as to say God is going to cut us off if we do this, it kind of puts it into a little bit of a different frame, doesn't it? Because too many people in the world use grace for the excuse to sin. One unforgivable sin, what is it? Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And what that literally means is the Holy Spirit is the one who comes upon us and brings conviction. The Holy Spirit's the one who on the first day, you remember, you remember what it was like, when you trusted in Him and and to you, you realized for the first time in your life that it was real. A real God. A real experience. A real forgiveness. A real relationship. We realize the realness of it. And how far is God willing to go if we're truly one of His children to try to deliver us from that? I'll tell you how far he's willing to go. To his last drop of blood. And for a person to receive from the true God what they need. And then feel that they're unfulfilled or unsatisfied and chase down other gods for what they want. That says that our God to us Is not all that we need. We need more. It's blasphemous. The Holy Spirit speaks to us and says, This is real. (coughs) And then we do one of two things. We either say, My Lord and my God, you are real. Or we say, No, you're not. This Jesus dude's a fairy in the sky. If the Holy Spirit comes to you and says, God is real, God is real. And the only thing that will send you to hell is to reject that. But the question is, how do we reject it? Do we reject it by the words out of our mouth or by the actions that we live outside? You see, Abraham believed God. It was accredited to him as righteousness. You know the first time that God talked to Moses? Or I'm sorry, Abraham? He said, Abraham, pack all your stuff up. I need you to go to a place that I will show you. you catch that? Pack it all up. I need you to go to a place that I will show you. Now, if somebody says, hey, would you go somewhere for me? What's our first question? Where? Right? We want to know how far it is. We want to know how much gas it's going to taste, what resources it's going to to gather. You see, Abraham's his believing God was accredited to him as righteousness because he had the ability to be able to, God go, pack everything up. You're going to go to a place that I'll show you. Packs it all up. And then just leaves. You see, God hasn't shown you your tomorrow or your day after. All he has said is that I need you to pack up. And I need you to be at the place where I will show you. You see, one way, we stay obedient if we walk with God. Because once we start the journey, He will show us. But our other choices, they rob us of blessings. Blessings. because many times we want to know what the cost is going to be before we do it. Does it cost too much if you're going where God wants you to? Does it cost too much if it's your life? Because they can take this one but they can't take your soul. Baal wants both. the reason he wants both he didn't like being down here I believe they're angry all the time because they know there's no way they win and if they don't believe that they win then all of these people that they are actually pulling in on their team what's the purpose they don't win either those individuals will not find Christ. I've talked more lately with legalistic people than I have any other time in my life. People who believe that if you go to church on the wrong day, you'll go to hell. Or that you're, very least, that you're disobedient. These individuals who believe, and I've known some personally, some in my family, who believe that the Sabbath is on a Sunday. First of all, Saturday. We worship on Sunday. And this is where people throw the argument. Oh, that's opposing. Oh, we just, we, we can't hold it. God made the seventh day of the Sabbath. So we should be worshiping on Saturday. Why all the distraction? Because the Bible I read says that I'm supposed to worship my God no matter where I'm at, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And if in this place is the only place that I can worship him, then we are honestly saying that our God is so bound in his power that we can only worship him when we're in his building once or twice a week? These are the people who eliminate grace. They're the people who eliminate what it is that God wants, actually wants from us. Do you think God wants you obedient to the Ten Commandments for the sake of the Ten Commandments? No! That's the rules I spoke about last week. God doesn't want us to be people who are rule followers. Why? Because his rules are written on our heart. And they are written much more specifically than any human being can put down on paper. Even Jesus said, many of you say that if you commit adultery with a woman, or if you lie with another woman, that you have committed adultery in your heart. But I say that if you have ever looked upon another woman with lust, that you have committed adultery with her in your heart. So which is it? Which is better? The law that leaves it solid, structural, foundational? Or the application that goes along with the intent in the way that Jesus wants us to use it? The Bible says I'm supposed to be gentle, right? All the time. I mean, read the book of Jude sometime. It actually says in there, or not Jude... Um, yeah, Jude. Read the book of Jude sometime, and you'll see in there where Jude was actually commanded by, by the Apostle Paul to correct people harshly. Harshly. One set of rules doesn't fit every circumstance. Jesus is the one who speaks to our heart and if it's him that speaks to our heart the things that he speaks to us are going to shake with scripture and if those things shake with scripture then they're things that are worthy of us living through so because I disregard the law does that mean that I no longer or does that mean that I'm just not going to murder people because you know what the Bible you know what else the Bible calls murder hate hate it says if you hate a brother then you've committed murder so the law misses too much so much to the point that Baal uses it do you get this? These are the most dangerous types. Why? Because they will build arguments around what you say is the fundamental foundation of your faith. And if you don't know the word of God and you're not learning the word of God, you can't detect it. And if we can't detect it, we can't defend ourselves from it. If we can't defend ourselves from it, then we can't snatch other people away from it. Jesus wants a a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week believer, someone who genuinely trusts in him, who can recognize when Satan's trying to get his hooks in him. And then as a result, glorifying God, whether it's in victory or failure. Because you see, the point's not whether you're you're a victor or a failure in it. The point is, what is your response to it? Someone who's covered by grace? Someone where grace applies? That individual isn't going to walk out of that circumstance going, Woo! Got out of that one. Let's go do it again. That's the difference. That's the breaking point right there when we do something we know is contrary to God and God told us don't do it if we repent that means that our heart is broken because of what we've done and we get to receive that grace but then you don't get to turn around and jump right back what, what did he refer to it as the dog returns to its vomit that's exactly what that is I mean it's exactly what he says that it is see a dog will go and eat something that's not good for itself and then it will puke it up in the floor, and if you're not careful with that dog, it'll walk right back to that puke and eat it again, knowing what it did to it the first time. It'll do it again. And so many times that's who we are as human beings. And we shouldn't be dogs who are returning to their vomit. If you do something and it makes you throw up in the floor, I would suggest you don't eat it again. And that's who Christians are. If we do, if we if we make a mistake and do something that we know was contrary to God's will, he spoke to us all the way up and to and through whatever it was that we chose to do. So we choose to do it. And then when you get that it turned out exactly the way that God said it was going to, it should be near impossible to do that again. I've explained it like this, and I'll close. The word repent literally means to turn away from. If I repent of something, then I've turned away from it. If I have not turned away from it, I have not repented from it. If I walk into that wall and I turn away from it, should I ever walk into it again? Get what I'm saying? If I walk into this wall, and then I turn away from it, should I ever walk into that wall again? Shouldn't. If I do, did I repent? No. I didn't. Now, I'll walk into that wall. It's a different wall, right? We're going to walk into walls. But God's desire in us is to sanctify us through his word and through His Spirit. That means God is doing everything that He can to make us the strongest, smartest, boldest believer that we can possibly be for Him. Which is why after you're a Christian for a few years, you turn around and look behind you, and you go, holy cow, look, look at the blaze of glory that Jesus is laying down. Because nobody notices more than you do what God does in your life nobody does everybody notices but not anybody notices all that God does like you do in your own life because you know what he's brought to the party you are the one living it now how many of us who know what God has brought to the party are willing to say sorry God you missed it on a few items I'm going to go find it elsewhere fact is, if God doesn't want you to have it, He won't give it to you. And if He does want you to have it, He will give it to you. It won't be without your effort, and it won't be without some thought, it won't be without some purpose. But if God wants you to have it, it's good for you. If God does not want you to have it, quite simply put, it is not good for you. Baal head demon the head little G God and man is he being successful in today's world but in reality he holds no power over us as I've said many times before he can influence your surroundings but he can't touch you if you're a believer he can sure make life Quite literally hell on earth through circumstances, especially if in any points we take we take Baal's side and I've watched the collateral damage. I've watched the destructive nature. When an individual just says, God, I don't really care what you think anymore. That'll destroy a church. It'll destroy a person's faith. It'll destroy a family. Here's all I want you to do. You can sing along. But I want you to think about how often you come to church and truly check your heart before you walk in the door. How many times through the day When we're making choices, that we check our heart before we make the choice. Because our God is a jealous God. But I don't want you to do it because you're afraid of Him. I would rather you do it because out of all these gods, He's the one who's delivered. See all the other ones, they brought pain, destruction, death. God brought healing, building, life. We can't make a choice to live with our foot in one of both of those worlds. Because to be clear, that just makes you a non-believer. We don't do what we do because we're afraid of him. We call out our father. He's our daddy. And we desire to be pleasing to him. And we do it every day of our lives, and every choice that we make. And occasionally, just like our kids, we make a mistake just like our kids he forgives us and he expects us to learn from it where's your heart at today how many of those little G gods are running around out there trying to lead you around by your nostrils because they know he's doing it but you only know how just love God Because he first loved you. No other little G God has ever shown that. If you've never come to know Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, come see me. Can't save you, but I'll certainly take the time it takes for me to explain to you who can. But if you're here and you're a believer, I don't want you to walk out of here feeling like the preacher kicked you down. Honestly, the word that I speak, I pray, is the word of God and the Word of God has its intentions towards us and it's never to destroy us. His intention is to give us the ability to see the things that we could not see without Him. The impact on our own lives, the impact on others. And as I've said a couple of times already, there's nobody who can really look at us besides ourselves and can see exactly where we stand. I hope that when you walk out the building today, at the very least, you're much more cautious
0: about the things we want, what we're willing to do to get them. Amen. Thank you, Brother Keith, and for those listening on the podcast, I want to offer that same opportunity to you to come to the Lord. If you've never placed your trust in Jesus, now is the time to do so. By default. We are all sinners, separated from God, and there is nothing we can do on our own to fix that. That's why God sent his only son Jesus to come live a life without sin. He was put to death on a cross as a perfect sacrifice for that sin. And to seal the deal, he came back from the dead three days later. If you truly believe that and ask him into your heart, you will be saved. If you're already a believer, this is a great opportunity to recenter your life in Christ next few minutes in prayer, and I'll be praying Thanks again for listening. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, discipleship, or if you have prayer requests, you can visit us at Facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. Have a blessed week, and go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Highland Gospel Mission was produced by Zach Link with preaching by Keith Perrin. Music provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons.